The clock is just about to strike 5pm here in the UK. Good afternoon to you. It's the BBG from BBG Towers in Salford welcoming you to Thursday's programme. I hope your day has been productive. I hope you're not a Belgian football fan. It's not looking good for the Belgians in the World Cup. You don't want to hear about that. Uh, It's you and me. I'm going to be chatting with you over the course of the next 90 minutes to 120 minutes to continue the football theme. I don't know how long it'll last, but it'll last long enough. Please join me through my website, richieallen.co.uk. Use my website to leave comments during the programme. I would be very grateful if you would do so. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Best thing to do. Use my blooming website, please. That's the best thing to do. Don't use the social media because I won't be looking at it. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, Thursday's program. It is uh, pretty chilly out there today, but dry. It's very, very chilly. I might have said that yesterday. Yeah, it's the time of year, I suppose. Let's have a good old chinwag, you and me, as we do every day. You never get sick of me, I never get sick of you. That isn't true. You do sometimes get sick of me, I'm well aware of it. And well, you should. Few things to just mention, you might be interested, you might not be. Speculation about what would Boris Johnson, the former Prime Minister, do now that he isn't the Prime Minister anymore? Would he stand again for the Tories at the next general election? Or would he go off on the lecture circuit to the United States and take six figures each time, a cheque for six figures each time he gives a speech? Well, the answer has been revealed. Boris Johnson has announced that he will stand again as MP at the next election. He will stand for his Oxbridge and Ruislip constituency in West London. Yeah, there you are. Johnson will stand again. Probably has designs on leading the Conservative Party after it is decimated by Labour in the next general election, whenever that comes. A couple of lunatic stories which we'd never cover, but I am today because I'm in a funny mood today. A woman in Florida has uh, sued a company saying that the mac and cheese dish she bought didn't cook in the preparation time that was stated on the box. (laughs) Only in America. No, no, it's happening all over the world. Frivolous lawsuits. She sued the makers of Velveeta shells and cheese, claiming the dish takes two long to make. It's the damages that tickle me, you know. You'll know, if you know anything about litigation in America, civil litigation, you know that the damages are often hilarious. So this woman is saying that um, they told me, the craft company, that my microwavable cup of Velveeta shells and cheese would be ready in three and a half minutes, but it takes longer. So she's suing for five million dollars. <laughs> Five million dollars. She'll persuade a jury that five million dollars worth of inconvenience was done to her by the craft company. I thought it was becoming more difficult in the US to pursue such frivolity, but apparently not. And in Sydney, 
there is a well there's a video doing the rounds of social media showing the capture of zoo lions zoo lions which had escaped from a zoo from Taronga Zoo. Yeah, Taronga Zoo, mate. Um lions escaped and they were captured, thank Christ. How do, do lions escape from a zoo? I'm not going to get into that. Anyway, will I talk about more serious things, will I? Will I? Is that what you expect when you tune into this? Okay. Uh, Ian Blackford has stood down as the Scottish National Party's Westminster leader. He said it's time for some new blood, for, for fresh meat. So he's gone. Uh, he'll still be a, an SNP MP, but he won't lead them. Um, I'm hearing a lot today about a film called Cocaine Bear. This is popping up on everything, on Google, on YouTube, on Twitter. Have you seen this, Cocaine Bear? The plot is wonderful. After a failed drug smuggling operation, a black bear ingests a large amount of cocaine and goes on a drug fueled rampage. It's apparently a comedy horror, obviously. And it's been spoken of quite a lot today. I've got to see it. Uh, Donald Trump, the former US president, has been told that his tax returns have been handed over to a committee of the US House of Representatives. He lost a battle, which went on forever, didn't it? Um, he wanted to keep them sealed, but the, the, the judges said, no, you must uh, turn them over, or the Treasury Department must turn them over. So it has complied with the Supreme Court order, the Treasury Department has, and has given over records to a panel... Uh, in the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives. Now, whether there, whether these tax returns will show any wrongdoing is anybody's guess. Uh, it isn't clear, reports the BBC today, whether his returns will be made public or, as I said, what they will reveal. So Donald has said, since the get-go, I've done nothing wrong. Yeah. Anywho, he's not commented today, at least I've not seen any comment anyway. And the EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen is in Dublin today, or at least she was. Presumably she's still there. There might be some reception this evening at the Mansion House or somewhere like that. And yeah, the EU Commission President, she's in Dublin and she addressed the Doyle and the Shannad Okay, the upper house and the door, she addressed them. It's 50 years since Ireland joined the European Economic Community. And Ursula, well, you couldn't miss an opportunity to patronise the bejesus out of the lovely little Irish people. Here's a little bit of her address today. In fact, it's just the beginning. This is a country of proud Europeans. Proud Europeans. And today, all other Europeans look up to Ireland. Sure they do. Because you show Europe's best face. We're a bunch of pissheads. Innovative and inclusive. Loyal to your history and traditions. Innovative and inclusive. Um, innovative these days, I'm not so sure. Ireland used to be a nation of geniuses. Today, I'm not convinced it's very innovative. Inclusive, well, that has been foisted upon Ireland by the European Union. It's not by choice that the Irish are inclusive. They're in the EU, so 500 million people have access to Ireland anytime they want. So it's not really their own volition or of their own volition that they are inclusive, Ursula. Open to the future and the world. That doesn't mean anything. 
This is the country that you have built, indeed, in one century of independence and half a century of European membership. Right. It is the country your ancestors fought for and dreamt of. Uh, I'll stop you there. The country our ancestors fought for and dreamt of. A century after the establishment of the Irish Free State, you know what, Ursula, the great freedom fighters of the 18th, 19th and early 20th century would be far from fucking proud of Ireland today. Uh, they'd have shot you, love, you and Donald Drunker and Guy Verhofstadt and Bertie Ahern and Biffo, the gay Indian and Micheál Martin, shot them for what they've done to Ireland. Let's hear a bit more. Exactly 50 years ago, Taoiseach Jack Lynch made a prophecy about Ireland's future in the European Union. He did, and I wonder about Jack Lynch now. I wonder if Jack Lynch was a bit like uh, Edward Heath, I wonder. He was campaigning for Ireland to join the European Economic Community. He was. I wonder why. And he explained that not only was the future of Ireland at stake, but the future of Europe because he had the faith that the Irish people, and I quote, could help fashion for themselves and for future generations a better Ireland and a better Europe. Let me just stop you there, love. The European Union and the European Central Bank has used Ireland's membership of the fascist superstate that is the EU to pillage, rape and plunder Ireland, to rid Ireland of Irishness and to flush its sovereignty down the feckin' toilet. Ursula von der Leyen should have to be escorted in and out of Ireland with a thousand armed guards and 500 German shepherds. But the Irish are lost. Most of them are lost anyway. That's Ursula von der Leyen. And what they did to Ireland, they did to Greece, to Italy, to Spain, to Portugal. I could be here all day long. I've done programmes on it. I've done two-hour monologues on what the European Union is, how it came to be, what it's meant to do, and what the result will be for humanity down the road. Fascist superstate doesn't even begin to cover it. That's just a cliché now. My God. Your ancestors who fought for independence would be proud of it. No, love, they'd, they'd tar and feather you. There'd be nothing left of your little blonde head. That'd be the end of you, if they got a hold of you. There's a comedy horror movie now, if somebody wants to write the script. A zombie movie where Maud gone and... <laughs> Markovich and James Connolly and Michael Collins, they all emerge from the grave and run, run, run to Brussels. Start chopping off heads. That's a great one. Right, good news story, because God knows we have enough bad news stories. For the first time ever this evening, a woman will referee a men's World Cup finals match. Yes, get in there, girl. A woman will referee a men's World Cup finals match for the first time, and that is a good thing in a world of such bad news. Here she is. The World Cup, Men's World Cup, is the most important uh, competition in the world, not only in, in football. So uh, we know that there is a lot of expectations. There was always pressure. There are always pressure in the, the, the matches. And also when we are women, you have more pressure because um, they are always new. 
I was uh, always welcome in the stadium. So I feel I feel like uh, another referee inside the the pitch. Yes. The 38-year-old French woman is Stephanie Frappart. I can't pronounce it. F-R-A-P-P-A-R-T. Stephanie Frappart. Frappart. She's 38, will be the first woman to referee at a Men's World Cup in tonight's group stage game between Costa Rica and Germany. That's brilliant. There will be two women working alongside her. Brazil's Noisa Back and Mexicans, Mexico's even, Karen Diaz Medina. They will be the first all-female on-field officiating team in the history of the tournament. Now, Germany's manager uh, is a guy called Hansi Flick. Yes, um, her Flick, you might say. You have to be about 45 years old to get that. Yeah, his real name is Hansi Flick, Herr Flick. He's Germany's manager. Does Herr Flick trust the female referee and her team? Does he? 100% vertrauen. I trust her 100%. 100%. I think she deserves to be here due to her performance and her achievements. We're looking forward to this performance. I hope she's looking forward to this match and us as a team. I think she'll perform very well. Sowohl wir als Mannschaft, aber sie auch mit ihrem Team. Frappard won't be breaking down this barrier alone. She'll be accompanied by two female assistants, making it the first all-female on-field refereeing team. But how comfortable does she feel that this step forward comes at a tournament hosted by a country whose record on women's rights has come under intense scrutiny? Ah, Debbie Downer there for the BBC. Debbie Downer reporting for the BBC. Give her a break. She's the first woman to ever officiate a men's game at a World Cup finals. Jesus. You're asking her about the plight of women in Saudi Arabia. What did she, excuse me, in Qatar, what did she say? It's not me who decided this World Cup. When you exactly. It's not you that decided to give the World Cup to Qatar. You are selected for the World Cup. How we can say that I'm not going? Uh, I was many times in Qatar. I was uh, always welcome. I was no problem with Qatar. So we know that there is uh, some difficulties there for the women. But um, I think and I hope this World Cup will help them. Right. Simple as that. Simple as that. Stephanie Frappard. Good honour. I hope she has a great game and avoids becoming a quiz question in years to come. Because that's how it'll go. It'll either go really well and there'll be little fuss or she'll be a quiz question in a few years' time. It can happen, you know. I don't know who hosts Mastermind these days. Which World Cup finals match has seen the most red cards handed out by a ref? Uh, Germany against Costa Rica in 2022? Correct. And for a bonus point, why was there so many red cards? Um, the ref was on her period. Correct! That's the level. No, no, seriously, that's the level. Uh, delighted for Stephanie. Thinking of Sarah Plumley here, former guest on the Richie Alley, Allen Show even. How are you, Sarah, if you happen to be listening? Good luck to the French woman this evening. And I hope she drinks, um, well, I hope she drinks plenty of cranberry juice just before kickoff. Yeah, that's lousy. There's no need for that. Absolutely no need for it whatsoever. Why am I not hearing music yet? Cranberry juice. You might have to think about that one. That's crap, isn't it? It's 16 minutes nearly past the hour. This is Renault. 
Alabelle DeMay from Moreno on your Richie Allen Show. Cold, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases. We all get them. Never before have your body's defences been under such constant attack. Now more than ever, it's essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Immunex 365 has been specifically formulated to maximise the effect of each ingredient, giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show can use their special 15% discount code RICHIEALLEN365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. Now with two-day track delivery free. The Richie Allen Show is the world's most popular independent news radio show. Listen on demand via your regular podcast provider. Welcome back. Hey, I want to thank Mark Boyerski, by the way. Uh, he's been running a promotion, you could say, and, and will run until tomorrow at 6pm. It's where if you buy an ebook at markbayerski.com, he will send all of the proceeds, all of the proceeds, to the Richie Allen Show. And everybody who does that, who goes to markbayerski.com and buys uh, one of his ebooks, they will also go into a draw to win a box, which is an array of beautiful crystals. There's about 15 crystals in all. You'll find out more about that at his YouTube channel, you just need to look for Mark Boyerski. So it's a great gesture from him and delighted. That's markboyerski.com. Really appreciate it. 21 and a half minutes past the hour. couple of things that I posted to richieallen.co.uk today, which I found very interesting. As a, a former trade unionist, as a former employee, I'm fascinated by tribunals, you know, I've attended a few over the years. I was at one many years ago. I told you the story. Many, many moons ago, I was an employee of Waterford Crystal. I was 17. I was a tour guide. I used to bring the Yanks, mostly Yanks, uh, the Americans around the factory as they would go, ooh, and ah, and it's amazing. It was amazing. And I would explain to them how everything worked. The blowing of the glass, the, the crystal, the cutting of it, and beautiful, the engraving and all of that. I was asked one evening, would I stay back for a few hours? We used to finish at five o'clock. Would you stay back till nine? Why, says I. Well, we have a reception in the gallery. The gallery was like a big museum of Waterford Crystal. It was fabulous, right? And we are giving a lot of dignitaries, lots and lots of wine, red and white and canapes and stuff. Would you hand them out? And they said to me, and, and they were on the record as saying this, they said, you can have a couple of drinks yourself. I was 17, I was underage, but it, does, it didn't matter. I got pissed out of my mind, understandably. And as I left, I thought I would take a bottle of Le Piator with me. Who wouldn't like when you're three sheets to the wind and you're singing, I don't know what I was singing as I was walking out the door, right? <laughs> what would I have been singing in 1993? I can't remember. But out I, out I went with a bottle. And a, a security guard who was a proper dickhead and uh, he, he, he was shunned for years afterwards. He was shunned. This is how unions used to work. Uh, this guy pulled me over, took the bottle of wine off me, and that was that. I thought that was that anyway. Until the following day, I was told I was going to be suspended for three days for stealing. And I said, fuck no, I'm not going to be suspended for three days. I didn't steal anything. And uh, the union got involved and said that they would take nearly 2,000 workers out on strike if little old me was going to be suspended. So there was a little tribunal which lasted for about an hour and it was very funny. So I know a little bit about tribunals. Yeah, pissed as a fart I was. When I came into work the following day, I had no recollection of it. I just thought I had a great time last night. What's going on? What did I do? 
you, you stole a bottle of Lepiator. Those were the days, you see, when the Irish knew next to nothing about wines. When in, in Ballybeg in Waterford, we thought we were sophisticated by having a bottle of Black Tower on the dinner table on Sundays, or Blue Nun, or Liebfraumilch. <laughs> Piss! <laughs> yes, I, I drink wine on Sundays with my roast, yes. What do you drink, Blue Nun? It's lovely. R- gut rot. Gut rot, Blue Nun. And I am stunned that I can walk around my local supermarket and I, I see those wines on the shelves, those old wines. Black Tower is still going strong. Paul Masson, Paul Masson's Californian wine, more piss. You know how they fill those bottles? And we thought we were sophisticated back in the day. You know they fill those bottles on docksides out of massive silver tankers? Do you know that? That's how it's done. And there you have Paddy and Mary in, in McCroom and Cork on a Sunday with their little pinky finger extended, drinking the old blue nun. Yes, we're quite sophisticated these days, aren't we? No, you're a fucking agent, Mary. That's what you are. You're a fucking agent. Anyway, tribunals. This got me, this got me interested today. A disabled man called Yasir Mahmood. Now, it could be Yasir Mahmood. I don't know. And I don't want to cause any offence. A disabled council worker was given £5,000 in damages, near as damn it. It was actually £4,881 in damages for injury to feelings. I swear to God, Mary Joseph, right, the three kings, three, uh, a, a panel found that this guy should be awarded £4,881 for injury to his feelings. Why? Well, apparently, Yasir Mahmoud, who's disabled, asked his team leader, or the former assistant chief executive at Rotherham County Council, if he could um, make, if he could do flexible working hours. So the disabled gentleman said, I'd like more flexible working hours, please. And the former assistant chief executive, a guy called Shokat Lal, that's right, in in Rotherham, there are no white people left, Um, a guy called Shokat Lal, he told the disabled man to manage his own life. That's not, there's not a lot in that, is there? Could I please have some flexible errors? And manage your own life there, will you, Yasir? So Yasir... said that he became offended and humiliated and traumatised and he reported the council and the former assistant chief executive and he was given £5,000. He felt degraded, he said. He told the tribunal he was degraded and the tribunal, the panel, said to the council he must be compensated for injury to feelings. Boss tells employee, manage your own life when employee asks for flexible working hours. Guy says he was degraded and humiliated. Guy's given five grand. The time is fast approaching on planet Earth when you will not be able to even look at somebody for fear of offending them. And that brings us neatly on to our next story, dear listener. All that talk of Blue Nun and Paul Masson has got me thirsty. And it is a Thursday, which is my Friday, really. Remember this yesterday, a Buckingham Palace household member, we were told yesterday, we weren't told who yesterday, but we know who now, a household member had to resign after she was accused of making uncomfortable comments to a guest at a reception held by the Queen Consort. Now, this is Ngozi Fulani, 
who's the chief executive of Sister Space, S-I-S-T-A-H, Sister Space, which is an organisation which supports people who are victims of domestic violence. It's a charity, right? Now, she said that she was asked by the household member where she really came from and that the household member persisted and kept asking her and even touched her hair. So she wrote on Twitter, did Ngozi Fulani, that she was approached by the woman who moved her hair to see her name badge and then insisted on asking her, which part of Africa are you from? It turns out, dear listener, and the plot thickens here, it was only Lady Susan Hussey, who is the 83-year-old godmother of Prince William. Yes, 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 right? This is brilliant. The 83-year-old godmother of the heir to the throne, Lady Susan Hussey, is the woman who had to resign because she asked the woman, where do you come from? Repeatedly. Now, Ngozi Fulani, the victim, is everywhere today, and I do mean everywhere. Uh, Like a picture of the baby Jesus in a traveller camp. She is everywhere. And I'll tell you what I find very interesting. This woman produced a very detailed transcript of her conversation at the palace with Susan Hussey. Did you see this online? She produced a proper transcript with question, answer, question, answer. All very bizarre, really. In fact, it's so bizarre that Ngozi Fulani has been accused of going to the charity event hosted by the Queen Consort, mic'd up to the tits. Mic'd up to the tits. Meaning that she had a mic concealed between her breasts. Now, there's no evidence to suggest that this woman uh, was mic'd up to the breasts. None whatsoever. But a lot of would-be sleuths, sleuths, how do you say that? Sleuths, sleuths, would-be Sherlock Holmes type people. They reckon that this black woman has a bit of a chip on her shoulder and she went to the palace to try and embarrass somebody. We'll come back to that. Uh, Talk Radio, very helpfully today, took the transcript and asked producers to act it out for you and me and I've robbed it because I have no shame. Have a listen. Where are you from? Sister Space. No, where do you come from? We're based in Hackney. No, what part of Africa are you from? I don't know, they didn't leave any records. Well, you must know where you're from. I spent time in France. Where are you from? Here, UK. No, but what nationality are you? I'm born here and I'm British. No, but where do you really come from? Where do your people come from? My people? Lady, what is this? Oh, I can see I'm going to have a challenge getting you to say where you're from. When did you first come here? Lady, I'm a British national. My parents came here in the 50s when... Oh, I knew we'd get there in the end. You're Caribbean. No, lady. I'm of African heritage, Caribbean descent and British nationality. Now... Have you ever in all of your lifetime heard anything so hateful? Well, as I said, Ngozi Fulani was everywhere today. She really was. She did BBC Breakfast, BBC Radio 4, BBC Radio 5 Live, Good Morning Britain. She did GB News. She did Talk TV. She was everywhere, Ngozi Fulani. Here she is speaking to Sky News today about the trauma of being asked by a an eccentric 83-year-old woman, where do you really come from? trauma. Abuse doesn't have to be physical. But if you move my hair without permission, to me, that's abuse. When you verbally... Hang on now. Moving the hair without permission is a little bit forward. 
it's that tad forward, right? But she's an 83-year-old woman who's probably g and up the wazoo, probably, right? And uh, the Queen is dead, her pal, and she's been put out to pasture now. The rest of her life will be spent at these shindigs, so she's having a few G&Ts. She shouldn't have touched your hair to see your name badge, but she's an 83-year-old, different generation. I wouldn't say it's an assault. When you verbally attack, because that to me is what it is, you are determined that the answer that I gave you is not one you want to hear. You do not recognise me as British. And until I acknowledge that I am not, you are not going to stop. What do I do? What do I do at that point? So I become silent. And I hope she would go away, and she eventually did. If you ask me a question and I give you the answer, then that's that. Move on to the next question. But if I give you that answer several times and you won't accept it, then let's recognise that there's a problem here. All right? I, I am very clear. I was not given the answer that she wanted me to give, and so we could not move on. And it was when she said, ah, oh, I knew we'd get there in the end. That proved to me you were determined to prove that I had no right to British citizenship. Oh, she was determined to prove that you had no right to British citizenship? That's some stretch of the imagination, that, you know. Maybe she was inquiring as to your heritage and she made a ham-fisted attempt at doing that. Maybe that's what she wanted to know. Where do you go back to? You're British, yeah, I get that. But um, where do your ancestors come from? That's maybe what she was getting at the old lady. Now, that reminds me of the, the Windrush conversation. Oh, Jesus. Where 50, 60 years on, people who were born here, worked here, or, you know, have given so much, can just be thrown out. I mean... How, how did a black woman get an invite to a, to a dinner? hosted by the Queen Consort. None, nobody has mentioned this today. Nobody has mentioned this today in mainstream media. Um, and when this woman did every broadcast, radio and television show today, not one of them asked when she was talking about institutional racism, about her presence at the event. And maybe that could be, it could be argued, we love that, don't we? It could be argued that your invite is is maybe... I don't know, contradicting your assertion that you were racially abused at this event? Maybe, I don't know. You know, it's a difficult conversation, but we're going to have it. We're going to have it, she said. Institutional racism is what Mandu Reid said, she said this was. Would, do you agree with that? And do you, and did it, how does it sit with you, the fact that she resigned, but do you think there's a deeper problem here? So institutional racism, racism is a problem all over the UK. No, it isn't. It's in the police. It's been established. It's no, no, it isn't. No, you're guaranteed, no matter what organisation that you turn the microscope on, you're guaranteed to find a few idiots. You always will, but it isn't any proof of institutional racism. You know, root and branch, it isn't. No, no. You know, guys who say things, we, we heard about some of the stuff that was said to black firefighters recently. It's not nice, I make no excuse for it. 
I wouldn't put up with it if I was in that work environment. I would be telling my pals or, or my colleagues who are making silly statements to put a lid on it like, shut the fuck up, you know. Um, you're breaking the law. Number one, you could end up losing your job. Um, but it's not institutional. There's no evidence to support that. Society, Western societies, civilizations have never been more tolerant. And I've proven this on the show in the past. I interviewed a former police officer about 18 months ago, a black guy who didn't like the interview very much. He went away in a big huff. And I said to him that minorities, particularly blacks, are overrepresented everywhere. Everywhere. Banking, the law, the media. How is it institutionally racist then, the UK, if that's the case? And I was right. He didn't like it. People don't like to be told the truth. You will find racists if you look hard enough. But they are so small in number as to be almost insignificant. And I say it till I am blue in the face and on, on my deathbed. Using the N-word and swearing at footballers on Twitter is not racism. There's something else going on there, and I've gotten into that before as well. It's some mashup of piss-taking, of trying to annoy people. It's attention-seeking, but it isn't racism. Let's hear a bit more from Ngozi before we consign this one to put this one to bed. It's in the fire brigade uh, department that was established. It's even in parts of the NHS. It's a problem, and it's in Buckingham Palace. So the one person isn't responsible. They need to review their whole um, policy on equality and race. No, they don't. That's a Ngozi Fulani. And it's funny, you know, you should be careful. When you're somebody like Ngozi Fulani, who's obviously got a chip on her shoulder and who's obviously militant, you should cover your tracks before you do what she did yesterday, which is publish a very suspicious and a very detailed transcript of a conversation that supposedly wasn't recorded by this woman. Like I said, she's been accused of it. But um, it's probably unlikely she recorded it. But it's very detailed conversation with this 83-year-old woman. You should be very careful and cover your tracks. Because um, people like me, who think that this is a load of monumental bollocks, that the country is a racist cesspit, will, will go digging through your social media, through your postings. And they were able to find at least 30 negative posts about the royal family by this particular woman, Ngozi Falani, who ended up on the invite list. So this is somebody with a gripe, with a grievance. This is not an innocent woman who turned up to celebrate the fact that her charity, which, which purports to help the victims of domestic violence, was, was invited to Buckingham Palace. She hasn't gone there in that spirit, obviously. This is a woman who went there on a mission, I would argue. Very interesting, this, isn't it? The way this is being reported. And I'll tell you what made me laugh. F me, but doesn't the plot thicken? I did say to you, didn't I, that it would be quite a while since we heard any James O'Brien from LBC, but we have no choice but to hear a little bit of James O'Brien today because the plot thickens. Now, you know that Harry and Meghan have a Netflix show coming out where, where the advertisements for this, the, the, the trailers are running for this Netflix show and Meghan is doing quite a bit of crying in the in the Netflix trailers. This is Meghan Markle, who married Prince Harry. Now, they've alleged that Meghan was subjected to racial abuse and microaggressions by Buckingham Palace. 
stuff. Do you see where this one is going, dear listener, do you? It couldn't be, could it? It could not be, could it? Surely not. LBC's James O'Brien he said to Colleen Rooney, I'll see your detective work and I'll raise it, love. Here's James O'Brien. I read somewhere that Lady Susan Hussey was the, was the courtier who had been entrusted with keeping an eye on Meghan Markle, looking after her, introducing her. Bombshell. Bombshell breaking news. Susan Hussey was the courtier tasked with looking after Meghan Markle. I've read somewhere that Lady Susan Hussey was the was the courtier who had been entrusted with keeping an eye on Meghan Markle, looking after her, introducing her to palace life. And she thinks this sort of behaviour is acceptable. So I don't know whether everybody who was desperate to believe that Meghan Markle is a liar will also be desperate to believe that Lady Susan Hussey did nothing wrong. And I don't know whether there's a word other than racist to describe that behaviour. No, 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 no. Because somebody thinks that Susan Hussey might have been innocent, it doesn't mean they're racist, you bearded twat. You know, there there are not two possible answers to these societal problems, James. There are many, many possible answers. It could be that Susan Hussey is just a silly old racist. It's unlikely, but it could be. It could also be possible that Susan Hussey has um, got no filter whatsoever. Doesn't think, doesn't engage brain before opening mouth. And it's also possible that Susan Hussey clumsily wanted to inquire as to where Ngozi's family came from. There are many possibilities, you see. It's not you're either racist or you're not, James. Yeah. But I can't think of one at the moment. I've just given you something. Why would you? Because she might not be racist. We'll get on to that. And then, and really interested in where that comes from. They even commissioned... A- it comes from a, from a sense of fair play, James. And it was argued one time by a lecturer of mine at Salford University. It was argued that if there's one thing that maybe runs through British and Irish society, it's a sense of fair play. A sense of let's not condemn somebody until all the facts are in, like... Let's not jump on the old virtue signalling bandwagon and call the 83-year-old woman, uh, who apparently was a great friend to to your queen, not my queen, but James O'Brien was very sad when the queen passed away, uh, as were his colleagues. Maybe give her a bit of slack, maybe. Maybe, but but no, no. The whole report, didn't they? The Sewell report. The government commissioned a whole report which was designed to, to conclude that there was no such thing as systemic racism in the United Kingdom. Why? No, no, the, the report, the Sewell report, wasn't designed to conclude that, that the UK is not systemically racist. It was a very, a very thorough and a very deep report carried out by people with no axe to grind with anybody, with impartial, carried out by impartial people, and they concluded that while you can find racism in the UK, the UK is not institutionally racist. They didn't set out to conclude that, you lying scumbag. That is what they determined after a couple of years of exhaustive research. Hey, are they so... I mean, it's so obviously not true. No, it's obviously true, James. Where is this racism you speak of? Just ask Marcus Rashford. Just ask David Lammy. Just ask Sangeeta Maiska. These people were trolled on Twitter, by the way. Just, just look at pay differentials. Just ask <laughs> um, Ngozi Fulani. Just ask anybody. Ask, ask, ask anybody. Ask Lenny Henry. Lenny Henry. Oh, we found someone in, in, the, in the middle of nowhere who insisted there's no such thing. And we, I mean, why? Why? No, 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 no. That report, the Sewell report, did not find somebody in the middle of nowhere who told them 
the UK is not racist. And then they took that person's testimony and produced a report. No, mate, no, no. They they colluded with, they cooperated with various groups up and down the country, minority, ethnic minority support groups, educators, schools, universities. It was an incredibly, as I said, exhaustive report. And it concluded what I would have thought all along, and I'm a visitor to these shores, that this is a very tolerant, very open-minded society. The great majority of people don't have time for the racism because they're too busy with the farm and in the evening they just like a cup of tea. They're too busy with their lives. They're too busy getting fucked over by their governments. They're too busy trying to figure out how the fuck are we going to pay £500 this month to pay gas and electric. They're too busy worrying about paying their other bills. They're too busy worrying about paying the mortgage to care about whether Ngozi and, and Lenny Henry, uh, you know, are, 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 are decent people or, or are from Outer Mongolia or from Jamaica and whether they should be here or shouldn't be. People have too much going on in their lives. This is a tolerant society. I, don't, I can't think of a more tolerant place than the UK. And like I said, I'm the outside observer here. This desire. Listen, maybe it gets, I don't think it gets exaggerated, but let's, let's put it out there as a sort of devil's advocacy position. Okay. This dickhead doesn't interview anybody. Do you know that? He, he, he drones on like this for three hours. And once, uh, twice, yeah, twice each program, he opens the lines to listeners. But he, he doesn't interview those he accuses of racism. You know, it's Farage one day, it's Richard Tice another day. He will mention conservative talk shows without, he's clever enough not to mention people by name as being racist and, and disgusting and fascistic, but he never speaks to any of these people. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes, but not in such great depth as to bore you to tears. But um, where were we? We talk about it too much, it gets exaggerated. I completely disagree with you but I am prepared to acknowledge you exist. Why do you think other people aren't just saying there's too much to talk about it? They're trying to deny that it even exists. What, where does that desperation come from? Denial is going to be a big thing in the future, isn't it? Climate change denial. Denial that the UK is institutionally racist. I think we've got to keep that in mind. Denial is going to be a big, big black mark against normal people like you and me in the future will be expected somewhere along the line in the future to affirm somehow. I don't know how we would do that. But they will expect us to affirm that certain things are truths in absolute, right? Absolute truths. Like, there is a racism problem. You will have to acknowledge that. Um, climate change is real and it's deadly. You will have to acknowledge... I don't know how that will work. Can you help me out? But, but it's going to come to pass. Denial, denial. All we, we hear, not all we hear, but a lot. We hear a lot about denial. About deniers. Who are these deniers who deny that racism exists? And at the same time, they're talking on the other, out of the other side of their mouths about being allies of, allies of gays and lesbians and trans people, allies of ethnic minorities. Got to keep an eye on this denial stuff. 
in, in, in general, uh, the denial of racism, and then in, in particular, the denial of Meghan Markle, and now the insistence that there was nothing wrong. Clyde up in Keithley used the word benign, trying to describe this exchange as benign. You must know, everybody must know somewhere inside it's not benign. It couldn't be any more benign. An 83-year-old spinster, maybe, I don't know, she might be married, you know, clumsily sidles up or idles up to a black woman at this party. She could be, you know, she could be halfway gone. And she moves her hair to see her name badge and she asks her, where does she come from? And you're calling that racism. It's crazy, isn't it? Isn't it? Wow. Batty old Susan Hussey, who obviously learned the art of conversation from Prince Philip. Are you still chucking spears at one another, old boy? You know, Susan Hussey, godmother to William, may have made Meghan feel uncomfortable enough to run for her life to L.A. with that ginger twerp in her wake, eh? They must be laughing their asses off as we speak, Meghan and Harry. So he was loving this, James O'Brien, the most virtuous presenter in history. He poops virtue anti-racism and goodness and nobody is going to be allowed to suggest that Susan Hussey has been misunderstood. Nobody. And it is a debate and it is a row because we let it be a debate and we let it be a row and because people still insist on pretending or claiming that this is in any way um, excusable. It's inexcusable. You do not excuse the inexcusable. You Jesus. You can explain the inexcusable. And in explaining the inexcusable, you may appear to be defending the inexcusable. I want you to remember something I said about him a year or two ago. It always happens. It is inevitable. It has never failed to happen. Something will emerge about James O'Brien. Something disgraceful at some stage, some story from his past, some skeleton will fall out of a cupboard. It always happens without fail. When you are that much of a pathological liar an actor, a pretender, you know, to virtue, a pretender to virtuous behaviour and to decency. It never fails to happen. Something comes out. When they are, when James O'Brien is used up, when they are tired with him, whatever they have on him will emerge. And I bet you it'll be hilarious, James O'Brien. Anyway. But you do not excuse the inexcusable. So Stephen Chelmsford is on the line saying that... Because oh, this is good. So he's got Stephen Ch- Chelmsford on the line. Don't worry, there's only about 10 seconds left of this. Um, his producer is telling him, you've got Stephen Chelmsford on the line. And normally what happens is the producer will helpfully give O'Brien an indication as to what Steve in Chelmsford is going to say. So Steve in Chelmsford is on the line, saying that because she was dressed in African colours, this was a perfectly acceptable question to ask. Steve is white, and Steve is stupid, and Steve will not be contributing to this programme today. Wow. Wow. Steve wanted to come on to say that the black lady was dressed in an African uh, rig-out, uh, an African uh, costume, not costume, um, suit, of, of dresser of some description, which it seems she was, right? And that maybe that explains why... Lady Hussey was asking about where you're from, but Steve is stupid and Steve will not be coming on the show today. Because this conversation is not about Steve or any other white people who think they know what it's like to be on the receiving end of... I cannot fucking wait for whatever is hiding in his closet to emerge. I have no 
maturity me. I have no humility. I am not capable of it. When it emerges, I will go to town on it and will not stop going to town on it for about five years. I'm giving it plenty of notice. When what that fucker is hiding comes out, I, I, I tell you, I'm going to paint it on houses. This is your Richie Allen show. I want to play this because... You know, I'm a, a music lover and I am an avid collector of vinyls and I am a very big Fleetwood Mac fan. And you probably know by now that the genius, the great singer-songwriter, that is uh, Christine McVie, uh, has passed away. She was originally from Cumbria, you probably know that as well. She passed away age 79 and they've been paying tributes. The music world has been paying some glowing and lovely tributes to Christine today. Here's um, one of my favourite songs that she wrote. This was a massive hit in the year of our Lord, 1988. It is Fleetwood Mac and everywhere. The time is seven and a half minutes to the top of the hour. You have been commenting and commenting, so when I return, or when we come back from the song, I'll read your comments. How about that? For the late and truly great Christine McVie. Fleetwood Mac and the late Christine McVie everywhere on the Richie Allen Show. Just under five minutes now to the top of the hour. Thanks for your comments. Colin says, Richie, I said the same about something coming out about O'Brien some years ago to the lads at work. It will come out and I will laugh my nuts off, says Colin. Why did he get dropped? Excuse me. I've just had a big drink of water. Why did he get dropped from BBC television? Something to think about, says Colin. He got dropped because he was useless. He was given Newsnight for a wee while. And that's not me being childish. It's genuinely the reason he was dropped. He was useless. Absolutely useless. He didn't understand, uh, O'Brien, that he was to keep his own opinions out of the interviews. He didn't understand that he was there to ask questions and shut up. And he was warned and then they kicked him out. Now, um, you might argue, and he might argue, that since then, BBC presenters have been opining quite regularly on political, geopolitical issues. That might very well be true, but he was kicked out because he was useless. Leslie says, Richie, in my opinion, racism is rife in the UK. Only, it isn't the right kind of racism. It's the racism against the indigenous population of the UK. David Keane says, Mate, you should have heard Vanessa Feltz on Talk TV uh, just over an hour ago. She said she went through the same experience for being with a black man um, by a royal. Has Vanessa Feltz said that a member of the royal family questioned where she came from or where her black boyfriend or husband came from? I don't know. I'll tell you what is interesting. Julia Hartley Brewer, Talk Radio, supposed to be conservative, right? Um... GB News, supposed to be conservative. Piers Morgan on Talk TV. They have all declared Susan Hussey to be racist. What does that tell you about the, the, the claims of GB News and Talk TV to be independent and to be the alternative to the establishment? That's very like anti-Semitism, isn't it, today? I mean, you, you will never get a UK television or radio presenter to criticise Israel or to criticise the Zionist lobby in the UK. They're petrified, they wouldn't do it. And now that's moved to issues around racism in the UK. Not a single so-called conservative presenter today stood up and said, well, we, we, we do know what racism is, we're not stupid. We don't believe this woman 
we don't believe the case has been proven against this woman that she is in fact racist. Nobody stood up for her today. That's strange. Jenny says it must be good to be O'Brien and never make a mistake or say the wrong thing and be absolutely right and perfect all of the time. He is the he is the embodiment of all of the all of the characteristics of fictional characters like like Alan Partridge, but he's real. Yeah, yeah, it'll be hilarious when whatever he's hiding emerges. It'll be something like he's been having. He's been married for years, O'Brien, but it'll be something like he's gay, and he's been carrying it on. He's been carrying on with um with with men, maybe. I mean, that won't be disgraceful, uh, you know. In, in, I said something really disgraceful. It won't be. It'll be hilarious. That um, it'll be pathetic, but but not disgraceful, obviously. Um, Von Lotsov says I'd like to see an old dictionary definition of denial pre eighties if anyone has one. The current definition I can find online from two different dictionaries goes like this. A denial is a refusal and often means a refusal to believe or accept something as the truth. Refusal to admit the truth or reality of something. Interestingly, on the Merriam-Webster dictionary site, it says the following under denial. Psychology of denial, a defence mechanism in which confrontation with a personal problem or with reality is avoided by denying the existence of the problem or reality. That is interesting. Richard Kelly says, I always ask people who are not Indigenous Irish where their original roots are from. I'm actually interested in their origins, says Richard Kelly. Uh, Scaramouche says, I'm from the 60s. Chris says, Richie, we were watching In Sickness and In Health on the television. They beeped out the word coon, but didn't uh, beep out red-faced Mick. (laughs) Is that right? So they thought they would beep out coon, which of course is a racial slur, um, and it might offend black viewers, fair enough, but they left in red-faced Mick. Asher, we're second-class citizens, the Irish. We know that, and we're proud. Patrizia says, people often ask where you are from. Does it mean we all get a stint on television, radio and in the rag tops with a lucrative payout looming? Now, Patrizia, we don't know if she's going to get any lucrative payoff, the uh, the, the woman, the charity woman, but uh, I hear you. I see where you're going with that. Uh, Caroline Feely says, O'Brien should be taken off air. He's a mainstream populist, has no thoughts of his own. That's true, because he is too busy looking at his likes than at what is really going on in the real world. We talked about this too many times for me to get into it here. But their job is to... is to, they, they take part in, whether they realise it or not, a psychological attack on the nation. It's that thing... Again, we've spoken about it too often. I swore I wouldn't bore you, or I would try not to bore you. You know, if you keep telling a child something, the child will believe it eventually. It's a terrible, terrible form of abuse. You don't have to beat children to abuse them. You don't have to sexually uh, assault a child to abuse the child. You can tell a child morning, noon and night that the child is useless. I had this in my life. I had the physical stuff as well. And eventually the child believes it. And we know this. There have been a million research papers done on this by psychoanalysts, psychiatrists, sociologists... Psychologist, a child will eventually believe that she or he is worthless. 
And they've infantilized the nation. They've done it a number of ways, through geoengineering, through, through the, 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 the crap in the water. Okay, medicating the water. And they want to do that again, of course, here. To, uh, fluoridation to, to, to uh, protect our teeth. So they've, inf- they've dumbed down and infantilized the nation. Now the nation is infantilized, and of course they don't mean every single human being, but, but the majority. Now you, you, you throw the abuse at them. You tell them every day on the media that they are racist, that they are homophobes, they are transphobes. They talk in hate speech. You keep telling society, which you've infantilized or attempted to infantilize, eventually society starts to believe it and starts to accept the solutions placed in front of it. You know, reparations to black people for stuff that happened 200 years ago. I mean, for fuck's sake, right? You do not have to have a degree. You don't even need to have a library card to understand how ridiculous that is. But yet, you you tell people often enough how hateful, racist, bigoted, anti-Semitic and transphobic they are, they will believe it. That is my opinion. I can't prove that, but that is what I see. Why else are we being told? And this isn't the new thing. This was pre-COVID. Constantly how, how, how dreadful we are, really, as people. Why? We're not. I really mean this. I encounter strangers all the time. You do too. It's not always when I've got the dogs in the park. It's often when we go into the city. When we go to Media City to have a drink, people are lovely, for the most part. They're friendly and open and courteous. I love that about the Brits. I like to think the Irish share that. You know, eternally courteous. Often, benches outside pubs, we have the dogs with us. We're not alcoholics, we'll have a beer. Often. Asking people, is it okay if we sit down with you? Oh, yeah, absolutely sit down, yeah. You end up talking to them. Where are you from? What are you up to? Where are you going? Lovely encounter with some people in Media City a few weeks ago. The nicest two people. They'd come from Yorkshire on a bus tour to to Granada Studios at Media City. They were getting a tour of the Coronation Street set. And they were delighted. So they went and they had their tour. They came back to have a few beers before getting the bus back to Leeds, I think. And lovely. People are lovely. They are. But they want you to believe that your own eyes are deceiving you. People are not lovely. They're telling you all the time they're not lovely. They're hateful. They're hateful. They're intolerant. They don't like diversity. They're bastards, these people. They're evil monsters, you know. I know why they're doing it. You know why they're doing it. And, uh, you know, if, if enough people eventually realise it, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll make some sort of a stand against it. Maybe. Vicky asks me, Richie, can someone please explain to me why asking someone where they come from is racist? I'm baffled. That's because it isn't, Vicky. It can be clumsy. You see, I, I, I don't think everything is black and white either. God forbid I could be... I, I could be as bad as uh, as Jimmy O'Brien. Of course, there are many facets to, 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 to this thing. It could be clumsy. It could be a clumsy thing. It might put somebody's nose out of joint. You know, if you, if you, if you blatantly ask a black person, a person of colour, um, where do you really come from? 
you know, I could understand why somebody's nose might be put out of joint. Now, one of our listeners said that he's asked people in Ireland, I've done the same. I met a lovely gentleman called Zahir. I, I, I meet him from time to time. I'm going to go and have a breakfast with him um, over the Christmas holidays. A lovely fella. His family are originally from um, the Middle East, or from, I should say, Asia, Pakistan. Uh, now, before he tells me that, I asked him. But I, I would have a way of asking. You know, well, you're obviously from around here, is it here? Wh- where does the family come from? Was it your dad and your mum who came here? Was it your grandparents? And uh, so he told me th- the story about how his family ended up in the UK. Of course, it isn't racism. But maybe there's a clumsiness maybe to Susan Hussey. But I don't believe for a minute. <laughs> Is that the woman is a died in the wool racist? Isabel says that um, this woman um, Ngozi might be a plant sent by the evil Meghan Markle. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that's a bit of a stretch. Maybe I don't know, but who 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 knows? Ultimately, what else can we talk about today? Uh, there's lots because I I I did put a few things. And I have been in the last couple of weeks, I've been packing the website most days, just grabbing stuff off the MSM, which which you might find interesting, and sometimes rewriting it, sometimes just copying and pasting it, within just about within the the guidelines as to what you can get away with. But um, Elon Musk has said that human trials on Neuralink brain chip, or Neuralink's brain chip, could start in about six months' time. Now, a number of you scallies, you sceptics, said, oh, it's probably started already, Richie. And you might very well be right. I I don't know. You said, um, oh, Richie, they've probably been training it on humans um, thus far. But it's interesting, this, isn't it? Again, we talk about this technology and these technologies, and they are rolled out. And the reasons, we are told the reason for developing this stuff, it's always very, very benign, to use that word benign. It's always very beneficial. You know, we will help people who cannot see to see again. We will help people who cannot hear to hear again. And they don't spend an awful lot of time talking about, you know, connecting up to the cloud, connecting to the smart grid, the network, connecting to everything in the internet of things. But um, it is interesting, six months time, and I'm genuinely bewildered. And maybe I shouldn't be bewildered. I mean, if you if you are blind, I suppose, yeah, I've got to be honest. I mean, if you're blind and this guy comes along and he says, look, I'm the guy behind Tesla. I'm the guy who owns Twitter now. We've got a chip and we think we might be able to restore your vision. It, it's a small thing. We're going to put it on the surface of your brain. What do you reckon? I can probably understand why some people would volunteer. But I did read in the Telegraph newspaper last year, if I remember, that there are no shortage of volunteers for the trial of putting the chip on the brain to connect up to the internet. And that I, that does spook me. Um, again, I'd love your thoughts on this. Um, I suppose it's obvious you wouldn't do it, I wouldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Uh, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that we would allow anybody place a microchip on our brain, um, but but we're we are a minority on this planet, are we not? You and me, I think we are. Are we a minority on this planet? You know, in terms of understanding what's going on and why it's going on and where it's all going to end. <laughs> you know? 
Chris says the old entourage lady, <laughs> entourage, William's godmother, was just making small talk and she was making the most obvious observation possible, it could be argued, in a very inept way. She should have just been ignored. Oh, you can't ignore stuff now. God, no, you've got to get on the telly. Got to get somebody fired. Gail says it's a good job Prince Philip wasn't there, isn't it? Yeah. Just old chucking spears at one another, old boy. That's the man. William says, surely the answer to the question should have been that she came from her mother's womb. Yes. Faisal says, how many women and girls has Joe Biden moved and stroked and snoozled? There's some memes out there about Joe Biden and his conduct. That's the US president, by the way. And his conduct around young girls. Yeah, I'll give you that. Okay. Going to take another tune. And after that, I will take another direction. We'll talk a little bit about China because the BBC's Chinese editor has been talking about the seeming, you know, the, what, what seems to be a kind of a relaxation of the lunatic COVID rules in China. So we'll get into that in a minute. And also that ridiculously horrible story about how that trans man, that trans woman, there's no such thing, that man dressed as a woman who managed to rape the schoolgirl and get her pregnant. We might talk a little bit about that as well in uh, the remainder of the programme. What have I got then? Asher, why not? Here's a bit of Chuck Berry. Let's go back to the 1950s. Yeah, 50s, 50s. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases are nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. And with free two-day track delivery. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk Welcome back. The BBC reported today and yesterday about a trans woman. These are terms I refuse to use, and I don't do that to get any, you know, to attract any attention. I'm not virtue signalling. I don't want the approval of feminists or women. This is how I really feel. I find it pathetic to be using terms like trans woman. It's madness. It's, it's almost a new form of newspeak. It's ridiculous. There is no such thing as a trans woman. We, there, there, there is such a thing as transsexuals. We know this. You know, spoken to Diane on this program about that. But a trans woman, a bloke with penis intact, dressing as a woman, is not a trans woman. It's a man in drag or a transvestite. So I, I, these terms are terrible. It's embarrassing for me to be reading these terms. Anyway, this bloke had sex with a 14-year-old girl, groomed the girl, made her pregnant. He's called, his real name is David Orton. But this idiot um, was masquerading as Danielle Rose Gemini. Uh, was found guilty of penetrative, penetrative sexual activity with a child after a trial. Officers said the, it took, the, the, the victim had been vulnerable and initially refused to believe she was being sexually abused. 
but she told police what had happened. So um, in court, this guy, David Orton, went under the name of Danielle, Danielle Rose Gemini. And they referred to this idiot as Danielle Rose Gemini in court. I can't believe this. And he was jailed for nine and a half years. Good enough for him. And um, let's hope he doesn't get out after serving half the sentence. So um, Julie Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio had Helen Joyce on. She's from a campaign group called Sex Matters, because of course it does. Biological sex does matter. Have a listen. Right now. This story absolutely incensed me because we keep seeing these headlines where trans woman guilty of blah, 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 when it's quite clearly a man um, who has committed these crimes. I mean, he got her pregnant. How could a woman get a 14-year-old girl pregnant? Now, your book, When Ideology Meets Reality, this this is when ideology meets reality, isn't it? At least people like the BBC did put the word trans in the title. I mean, we do see these that they just say woman did such and such, woman assaulted somebody, you know, woman attacked, uh, you know, woman lured child on the internet, uh, or even, you know, good things like first female billionaire to do something, rather (laughs) first woman to win a quiz, you know, and and you read down and you realise it's not a woman, it's a man. And, you know, whatever about the courtesies of using preferred pronouns, I am all out of courtesy with men who have sex with underage girls. I don't yeah, call me old-fashioned. <laughs> yes, yes, they're not. They're not the people I really feel I have to be watching my p's and q's most about. So yeah, I mean the the, B, the BBC's headline: trans woman jailed for sex with fourteen-year-old girl. At least the word trans is in there. But you know what? You don't have sex with fourteen-year-old girls because they can't consent. Yeah. I don't know the details of why it wasn't decided to be rape in court, but uh, you know, fourteen-year-olds can't consent. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It is statutory rape, is it not? Yeah. He was found guilty of two counts of penetrative sexual activity. I mean, again, I don't know why that isn't right but there we are she apparently thought she was consenting she had been groomed she was a victim of he was able to gain he because he is a man uh he was able to gain the trust of the family and have have so much contact with this 14 year old girl because let's face it i wouldn't genuinely allow my daughter when she was 14 to be hanging around in private with a 25 year old man who wasn't part of the family you know again would that be normal? No, it would not. Um, but he was able to gain uh, access because he claimed to be a trans woman. They thought he was not a threat for some bizarre reason. So why does Helen Joyce think the family didn't see this bloke as a threat to their daughter? Helen Joyce. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm not sure why the family found him so convincing because he doesn't look convincing in the slightest. No. It's obvious that this person isn't a woman. I can only think that it's a sort of a misplaced desire to be kind which I think is behind an awful lot of, for example, the preferred pronouns and so on. And it's a good impulse, but it's an impulse that predators ruthlessly uh, use to get what they want. So I just think, you know, when it comes to children's safety and when it comes to talking about the things that harm women, you know, rape, assault, all of these things, I think there's no place for be kind. We just have to use reality-based language. Reality-based language, yeah. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? (laughs) Let's start using reality-based language. Absolutely right. Um, so as I said, China... <laughs> on the face of it, it looks like there's been some rowing back of the lockdown madness in China, right? Um, the BBC reporting it's shifting in its COVID stance, moving to ease some virus restrictions, despite the fact there are high daily case numbers in China. This is madness. I mean, this is beyond madness, right? So dozens of districts in Shanghai and Guangzhou 
um, cities that were or are still apparently seen, seeing rising numbers of cases were released from lockdown measures today. So what's going on? Well, a guy called Howard Zhang is uh, the BBC's Chinese service editor. And he says that all is not as it appears. Here he is appearing on BBC News 24 today. This is the first time in a, in a long while we start to see the uh, person in charge of running the anti-COVID campaign, the vice premier, as you mentioned, uh, hinting that some type of a new approach is uh, coming. And this is after, as uh, most people watched on TV, widespread protest over the past a few days, and uh, some cities like Guangzhou, Shanghai, have announced partial lifting of really, really draconian uh, quarantine measures and lockdown measures. But uh, a word of caution, it's unlikely we will see a complete lifting of lockdown anytime soon, because uh, you know millions of people have been drafted in into this huge industry many describe it as a huge industry of lockdown. So even if the government is slowly, slowly trying to rebalance, they still have to find places for these people to go. All these people dressed in, you know, that's overall whites and uh, uh, locking down and testing people. It's utterly chilling, isn't it? Like you said, millions of people. You've seen the photographs of people in white, decked out in hazmat suits, you know, rounding people up. Millions. It's an industry, he said. It's, don't, don't get too excited about how it appears that they're rolling back a little bit. They're not going to be rolling back at all. I mean, this is chilling stuff. Testing people, the testing industry, in some estimates, counts for anywhere between 2 to 3% of the GDP now because it's just so widespread. Do you hear that? The, the testing industry, the apparatus that supports the testing and all of those people in the white suits, 2 to 3% of China's GDP now. I had to replay that two or three times to hear it. The government has to find alternatives for that. It's, it's going to be a gradual process. And we've seen on some of those protests spilling over to criticism of the party uh, more broadly. How surprised were you to see that? Uh, I guess it's not a surprise. This, this anger, it, it, the grassroots anger is there. But for that degree, that scale of expression of anger, that's the surprise. And, uh, but also now, uh, that's another thing for people to bear in mind. We do still have the crackdown ongoing. So we, we, we have uh, reports coming from various sources in China that the police are searching people's phones and uh, searching for people who showed their face during the protests. So you, you got the current stick. One side, the government offering a little bit of lifting. On the other side, uh, trying to find protesters as well. Trying to find the protesters. A little bit more from Howard Zhang. Dilemma, a few uh, reasons given by government sources as well as experts. One is lots of senior citizens over the age of, let's say, 60, 70, were so reluctant to take uh, vaccines. And That's because they're not stupid. And for various reasons. And also, they're not stupid. also because China still do not have the same type of what they call the mRNA, which is more advanced uh, vaccines. And uh, they only have this less effective uh, domestic-made uh, inactivated vaccines. That those are the reasons why they're still not opening up. Well, that's really useful background. Howard, thank you very much for coming in and talking through that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Howard Jiang, BBC Chinese editor. What a picture that is. Didn't um, Welsh Greg, who's got a Chinese wife, who sometimes sends messages to the Melodies programme, didn't he say very recently that they're looking to get back to the UK, him and his family? Wow.
Brian Smith, I'd read more of your comments, Brian, if you had a little bit of humility and if you used terminology like, in my opinion. You say, we are not in the minority. We are about 30%, you say. 5% committed activists. So 5% of the global population is committed to activism. That's bollocks. Um, And 25% who are quiet but no. In total, about 2 billion people. So we're not the minority. In your opinion, Brian, but you haven't got a scrap of evidence to support that. I think it's bollocks to suggest the 2 billion people on planet Earth are in the know as to the dystopian agendas being rolled out. But um, I pray, if there is a God, that you're right. Of course I do. Um, I'd love that to be true, but I doubt it very much. I have eyes and I have ears. Um, If you take it on a community level, if you look at your community and imagine that your community, which has got lots of different people in it from different backgrounds, and say, well, you you look at the community and then get an overall picture of what it might be like worldwide. Um, There is nowhere near 30% of the people I live around and with who are open-minded to um, what we discuss on this programme, who have a you know, a feeling, who who understands something is going on. I hope you're right, but I doubt it very much. I doubt it very much. Hey, speaking about the uh, Sunday show, it's live every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time. It's a chilled music programme, songs and stories. I really enjoy it. Um, So you might think about joining me this Sunday at 10 if you haven't before. Sunday morning melodies with the BBG. That's 10 o'clock on uh, Sundays. Right, I am going to take my leave of you today. Uh, thanks for uh, being with me this week. We, we, we've we had some very interesting guests this week. Of course, we had Professor Ian Plymer yesterday. We had Dr. Jason Dean this week about transhumanism. We had Paul Craig Roberts, Tony Gosling. It's been an interesting week. All of the programmes are archived at richieallen.podomatic.com. But whichever podcast provider is on your phone or your computer it will have more than likely will have the Richie Allen show so you will be able to pick up uh, any shows you may have missed if you're interested in doing so until Sunday then from me it's a uh, boy have a fantastic weekend wherever you happen uh, to be whatever you happen to be doing uh, take care of yourselves and one another as usual closing out today's program with REM speak real soon <laughs>